chapter 3, and we'll read, uh, in all, we'll read the first, the, the first 17 verses of the chapter, but we'll just read a small part of that right now. Uh, so, chapter 3 and verse 1. Since then, says the Apostle Paul, since then you have been raised by Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's enough to start us off. We're going to read uh, the, the next two sections of the chapter 2. But let's just first, before we get into it, look back a little bit at where we've come, come to uh, from where we've been. Um, let's start with this morning, actually, which was not about Colossians, but I did mention that it, there was a connection. We were talking about being transformed this morning. And we said that the way that uh, the Bible says that's to happen to us, as, as Jesus changes our lives into something that's more powerful, more effective, more beautiful, more, more attractive, and, and just, just a better life, is that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's how you gain the power to be a living sacrifice, which we're talking about this morning. That your mind needs to be made over. And there are many, many verses in the Bible that talk about that. I mentioned this morning, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, from the book of Proverbs. Another one, also from the book of Proverbs, but earlier on, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What you think about, what you keep in your heart, what you, you, you mull over, that de determines who you actually are going to become. The problem with it, of course, is that we can't do that by ourselves. And that's why I'm not recommending that you buy a copy of the book I was mentioning this morning by my name, James Allen, um, because I think there are three problems with trying to think yourself into a new mind. The first thing is, we've got blind spots. There are things we just don't spot about ourselves. And it's possible for somebody to be, have a brilliant character in lots of different ways and yet have a kind of little bit of arrogance about him. Something else, a curiosity about other people's affairs that doesn't belong there. And you think, that's odd because this is such an admirable person in every respect, and yet there's just this thing wrong about them. Why is it? Well, sometimes it's that we just don't spot things that need to be sorted out in ourselves. And that's where Jesus comes in. He helps us see those things. Bit by bit, the Holy Spirit shines a light on what needs to be sorted out in our lives. And although it's a lifelong job, and uh, he who has begun a good work in this will be carrying it on right through to the day when we see him, Nonetheless, he does isolate these areas one after another and help us sort them out. Otherwise, we can get into the wrong view of ourselves. And that's the second thing. We can have delusions about ourselves. <laughs> we can feel we are doing better than we are. And uh, you can either be very optimistic about yourself. Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm, I'm a really nice person. Or you can be pessimistic. Oh, I'm such a loser. Oh, no, I, I'm useless. And you sometimes seesaw from one to the other. Where are you? Who are you? How much have you changed from what you were once? Well, only God can tell you. <laughs> so that's another reason that we need him. And the third thing, I think, is that we've, we've got blind spots and we, 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 we have uh, delusions about ourselves. Uh, and uh, the third thing is we just don't know enough. What should we be thinking about? And to have the determination to make ourselves what we ought to be takes a, a, an iron will that most people just don't have. That's why lots of people have bought James Allen's book and others like it. Fewer people have read it and very few people have actually applied it. It's because you really can't. 
It's so difficult to do it on your own. You just don't have the strength. You don't have the power. Douglas Moo, who's a fairly saintly Bible commentator, has written a big commentary about the book of Romans. And he says in his bit on chapter 12, I was 20 years old before I became a Christian. And I still have problems unlearning some of the habits I put into my life and the thoughts I put into my brain before I was 20 and I found Jesus. And that can be the case, can't it? He's 50s, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And so 30 years on, he's still trying to undo the first 20 years. It's a tough job, and that's why it needs Jesus to do it. Now, Paul is talking to the Colossians here, a small church in the middle of Turkey somewhere, and we said last week that there are two sections in this letter where he's just proclaiming. He's saying things that are like they are and just laying it down for them. But in the middle, there's a whole argument section. The first bit is that he's proclaiming in, in chapters 1 to, to ver- 2 verse 5 who Jesus is and what's happened to them as a result since they became Christians. And there's no argument about that. He's not going to argue. He's just going to tell them, this is who you are in Jesus. This is what Jesus did for you. This is who Jesus is. He's God and he's human. The two things matching him perfectly. He's the whole purpose of uh, every, everything in creation is, is reconciling him or it will be one of these days. And he is the pleroma, the fullness of God in one human body. He's just saying that. There's no argument about that. And when you get to the end, how you live out this new identity, again, he's laying down the law. Wives, you do Husbands, you do that. Children, this is how you behave. Slaves, masters. He's got it all sorted out because it all depends on what he said in the middle. You see, the middle is where the argument comes. And we noticed last week that there are six times he uses his word un, which means therefore, we talked about that this morning too, to advance his argument. And after uh, that first section, who Jesus is and who you are, he says, okay, so then, un, just as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him. And then again later on he says, therefore, same word, do not let anyone judge you. And the third bit that we looked at last week was, since then, same word, you died with Christ. And so he's saying, therefore... And on the basis of that, therefore this. And on the basis of that, therefore something else. And he's advancing it one step at a time. And it goes on to our chapter tonight. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Say word again. Put to death, therefore, he says in verse 5. And then later on, therefore, as God's chosen people. And then you've got the final section of his argument. So we looked at the first three therefores last week. The first three stages and the argument he's advancing. And tonight we're going to look at this next three that come in that section there. Um, if all of this is true, he says, then this follows. And if all of that is true, then this follows. And if all of that is true, then this follows. So where are we up to? Where's number four in this argument? If all of this is true, then what? Well, we've read the verses. He says, if all of this is true, then you need to set your minds on things above. Let's unpack that a little bit. I'm going to take it off again, like I did this morning. Sorry. There we go. Uh, over the last 20 years, there's been an enormous interest in the Western world in angels. It's quite interesting. Back in 2011, this is probably something that sparked it off, uh, the Associated Press did a survey in America just before Christmas of thousands of people. They rang them up over the phone and they, they said, we want to uh, question you about your views about Santa Claus. Did you stop believing in Santa Claus? And if so, when did you do that? And so on and so forth. And they asked about a few things. But the question that most people got interested in the whole thing was when they asked in question five, do you believe in angels or not? And they found that 77% of the American population, or those that they surveyed anyhow, said, yep, we do. Nearly eight in 10 of Americans believe in angels. And nobody guessed yet before. A lot of people thought it was a bit like Santa Claus. People gave up believing in angels when they reached a certain level. But no, 
Uh, lots of people believed in angels. And so now you'll find all sorts of books and therapies and cults and groups and weekends and meditation treats devoted to experiencing angels, getting in touch with them one way or another. I mean, look at YouTube. Here are, are three videos just taken from, from one page of results here. 15 angel sightings that will convince you they are real. Mm. Uh, the second one, spiritual hug of angel, unconditional love of guardian angels, make your wish come true. Well, who doesn't want something like that? And the third one's a music one. Angelic music to attract your guardian angel, remove all difficulties, spiritual protection. Not bad if you can do that just by playing a three-minute track. And it goes on. Once I did this, angel started visiting me. Somebody who claims that once he applied a certain spiritual technique, angel suddenly started fluttering around his house and doing stuff for him. And then 12 undeniable signs that angels are with you. <laughs> and it's grown as quite a phenomenon. It's died away a little bit just recently because you can't keep this thing going forever. It's too, too wishful. But um, one woman who's made a lot of money out of it is the Irish writer Lorna Byrne. Spiritual teacher, international best-selling author, philanthropist. She has dedicated her life to remind humanity of the spiritual potential within us all. She is the author of seven best-selling books, including Angels in My Hair, A Message of Hope from the Angels, and Angels at My Fingertips. And she's been published in more than 50 countries and 30 languages around the world. That is good stuff, and she's made quite a living out of the angels. So she, she's done pretty well. This is one of her books, Stairways to Heaven tells the story of how she pulled her life back together and how she, an uneducated mother of four, broke her silence and started to spread the angel's message to the world. Lorna tells us there's a future that God envisages, us for us, envisages for us. Everyone must play their part, she says. So why are people getting interested in angels? Well, perhaps it's because old ideas about organized religion don't mean so much to people's lives anymore. And one Roman Catholic priest who's a university chaplain uh, said this in an article on the subject. With increasing violence and ever-present threats globally, belief that angels are looking out for us can be extremely comforting. Angels become even more important, he said, to people who are not strongly connected to a faith tradition. In other words, if you know your God, if you know who you believe and you're firm in your faith, angels don't matter that much. But if you're not, they can count for a great deal. They fill up a gap. What I have seen, he says, is that many who are not regularly practicing their faith have turned to these spiritual beings as their connection with God. These other-than-human creatures give a sense of peace to those who are missing that closeness with God. The angels are not judgmental, but rather comforting. And you know what? That takes us right back to Colossae. Because that's exactly what was happening in that little church that Paul was writing to in the first century. They had become Christians the Paul way. And then other people had started coming to the town and saying, huh, you know, we are spiritual teachers too. And they were giving a picture of the universe which was a bit different from the one that they'd received already from the Apostle Paul. It was a bit like this diagram here. They said, look, the universe is in three bits. There's you down here on an earthly level. And you have a physical fleshly body, a physical body. You also have a spiritual soul that reaches out for more, and it can't be content with this world down here. Your physical body, well, that, that's, you just use the appetites you've got there, and we won't talk about those right now, but your spiritual body wants more. And there's another level above us, which we normally can't get to, and it's a level where you will find angels. And there are angels of all sorts and varieties, all sorts of different powers and qualities. And one of them, yes, is Jesus. 
Jesus is a great angel. And since you guys became, became uh, Christians, you've come into contact with the angelic realm. And of course, there's another realm above it, which none of us can ever penetrate to. It's far too holy. And it's the realm where God sits on his throne. So you've got God at the top of the, the, the heap. You've got a level of angels that we normally don't get to. And you've got you down on the ground just wishing you could get into a more spiritual realm. Well, you can, they say. You've already got there, in fact. What needs to happen is you forget about your fleshly body and you head towards the angelic realm. You've already started, you people, haven't you? Because you believe in Jesus. Brilliant stuff. So you've experienced just a little tiny bit of that angelic realm. However, we <laughs> have more to offer. Because we have got visions of Jesus to support. We have been in the angelic realm. We have heard the angels singing. We have been transported into another dimension where we're, we're worshipping with the angels. We're caught up in the songs of heaven. Oh, we can't reach God. That's a dimension too far. But we can reach the angels. And so can you. But you've got to stop thinking that Jesus is the only way to God because Jesus is just one angel. And word we've used before, the pleroma, the fullness of God, means identifying all of the angels and worshipping all of them. <laughs> and when you have the visions that we do, and we can show you simple techniques for doing that, then you will get up onto our level and you'll be on the angel level too. Well, that was the idea they're promulgating, and you can find virtually the same thing on YouTube nowadays if you look. And you can buy it at a massive, massive expense from people like Lorna Byrne. We can't take you to God, but we can take you as far as the angels. And Paul is saying, look, this is, this is ridiculous. This is not the way it works at all. The universe is a little bit different. For one thing, Jesus is not an angel, so let's get him out there for a start. <laughs> for another thing, where is Jesus? Jesus is at the right hand of God. <laughs> He's not an angel. He's gone beyond that level into the ultimate level of all. He's gone back to his Father's presence, and that's where he is. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so Paul says, why stop in the middle, on the angel level? Go right to the top. That's where you've got to. It might not feel like it sometimes, but that's there where you are. You're in the presence of God through Jesus. And... Uh, you are not here as far as your spiritual yearnings are concerned because where are you? Well, you're in Jesus. He died for you. You accepted him by faith and that means that you are in Christ. And so if Jesus is in heaven, that means the spiritual bit of you is in heaven as well. It's there with Jesus. And so you died in Jesus and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're up there on that top level already. And he says, that means that right now, what you've got to do is set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And he's implying, you know, if these guys who have these visions of angels are so holy, why are they so interested in getting hold of your money? <laughs> and he's saying, you don't think about that kind of thing. You just set your mind on what is above. That's what you've got to do now. He gives two reasons for it, one from the past and one from the future. The reason from the past is when we've just read, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're already there. There is nothing more to come. You belong in heaven. And when heaven and earth join at the end of time, you, you, you belong in that heavenly city because you are there already in Jesus. Jesus, who was a human, is up there right now for you. There's an old hymn that says, and didst thou love the race that loved not thee? Didst thou bear to heaven a human brow? 
Dost plead with man's voice by the crystal sea? Art thou our kinsman now? And the answer to it is yes, yes, every time. Jesus is there, and so I'm there in him. My life is hid with Christ in God, and nobody can prize it away from that top dimension uh, where Jesus uh, and God uh, rule the universe. But there's also a future dimension to the whole thing. And he says, set your minds on above because you're dead already and all of that has happened to you. Also, set your mind on things above because when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in glory. You don't see everything there is yet, but Jesus is going to appear one of these days. He's going to burst through the skies in heavenly glory. And who will be with him? You will. You are there spiritually right now. You'll be there physically one of these days as well. The heavens shall grow with, glow with splendor, but brighter far than day, the saints shall shine in glory as Christ doth them array. We'll be there in his triumphal train. And so get yourself ready. Set your mind on things above. Okay, so that's fine. But what does it mean to set your mind on things above? You see that in our translation, in the NIV that I read it from, uh, it uses virtually the same phrase twice. Set your hearts on things above, it says, in verse 1. And then in verse 2, set your minds on things above. Huh. Confusing. And actually, it's more confusing than it needs to be because those are two complete separate words in Greek. The first one, set your hearts on things above. Well, the word for set means seek those things that are above. Look for them earnestly. It's exactly the same word that Jesus uses. You remember he tells a story about the man who went around looking for pearls? He was a pearl merchant and he was looking for the, the biggest pearl he could possibly find. And he looked everywhere until he'd found it. And then he sold everything he had so he could buy this pearl because he was so desperate about this search. Well, that's exactly the word that's used in the story. And it's the word that's used here for uh, the way that we should uh, set our, our hearts rather on things above. In other words, seek with the whole of your heart those things that come from heaven. Find out more and more about what God has to give you. Spend more and more time in Jesus' presence. Learn more and more about what it's all about. And the more you search out the treasures and you get thrilled by them, the, more, the closer you get to him. And then there's a second word. Uh, set your minds on things above, it says in verse 2. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, it uses a word phronio in Greek. And phronio means to think about something intensely. I didn't understand until I looked it up that phronio is actually a word that comes from phrain. And phrain in, in Greek thinking was the midriff or diaphragm, the parts around the heart. So to phronio, to set your mind in that way, is to pack things around your heart, to hold them close to your heart itself. I remember, of course, that in the Bible, the heart is not the sentimental Valentine's Day bit. It's the engine room of your whole life. And so what things come closer to your heart, to your engine room, to the thing that drives your life forward? And, and, and what I'm saying by, by, by using the word phronio is, well, be careful what you own there. And make sure it's things above, the things that relate to, 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 to what God's given us and where he's taking us and what the whole future of this universe is going to look like. And the way that works out in his world right now, the sort of person you ought to be, the sort of world we're trying to build together as we try to be first fruits of the kingdom of God, all of that sort of stuff, that's what you focus on. And when you do that, uh, then um, you're, you, you, you're heading towards something really good. 
Now, that's what we've got to do. And we've got to ask Jesus to help us do it, as I said right at the start. Because you can't do it on your own. It doesn't mean necessarily just going around all day thinking about the Bible. <laughs> not a bad thing to do, but it's not just that. It's a matter of translating what you already know about God into the situations of everyday life. How should I relate towards that character if my life had been Christ with God? How should I make that decision if I've died and I'm somewhere else spiritually? How do I act in this world? How do I vote? What do I think about the new conservative leader, whoever he or she is, he said very carefully. You know, how do I make political decisions? How much money do I give to feed the hungry? How do I, how do I relate to the arts and films and TV programs which say something very true and say it very beautifully, but which are a bit off color as far as Christian ideas are concerned? What do I do? How do I work all of that out? That's all involved in packing around your heart those things which come from above. So that's what he's really talking about. And then he goes on to, 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 to the next therefore. So let's have a look at that, shall we? So reading on from verse 5. Put death therefore, he says, un, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he talks about some of the things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, a wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie. Well, well, we'll get the next bit after that. But, uh, uh, no, finish the section. Do not lie to one another since you've taken off your old self, its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So he's saying, well, if all of this is true then, the next step is you have to hold a funeral. <laughs> and probably not once for all, but every day, <laughs> several times a week, something like that. Just say goodbye to those old impulses that keep coming back and knocking on the door and trying to take over your life. Kill them off, because you can. With the power of Jesus, there is no temptation that needs to overcome you. And so you can say goodbye to those things. Even if you have to say goodbye to them, please go away, oh no, you're back, go away again. You can do it, you can do it. You can live in power, you can live in victory, because Jesus will allow you to do that. Now you'll notice there are two lists in this little section here. There's one in verse five, and one in, in, in verse nine. Here's the uh, uh, list from, from verse five. Uh, Sexual immorality is the first thing, and that's the Greek word pornaya. And that's from what we get, pornography and stuff like that. But pornaya cover, uh, covers almost any sort of irregular sexual conduct. So it can be anything sexually wrong whatsoever. Then there's impurity. And impurity is the stain that that leaves on your life. Your thought patterns are defiled. Your habits are not what they ought to be. Your eyes go where they shouldn't go. That's impurity. And see, so put that to death as well. Stop that too. Then third, there's lust. And that's not the kind of settled wrong thinking that goes on in your brain. That sudden surge of, whoa, I really want to do that. And he said, put that to death as well. Then the fourth thing he mentions is evil desires. And Ben Witherington, in his commentary on him, says, four out of the five are about sex. It's not surprising, is it? If it is true that sex is such an important drive in our personality, um, then no wonder. It has been said, I don't know where they get this from, and I'm, I doubt the figure will be quite a bit, that uh, the 19-year-old boy on average thinks about sex every two seconds. 
not sure about that. How do you test that out anyway? But, you know, it certainly is an important force in our personality, isn't it? And it's one way in which some of these things are going to show up in our life. The wrong desires that we have. But there's one more that he mentions. And it's got nothing much to do with sex, really. It's greed. Cupidity. Wanting things for yourself. And he says this greed is actually like idolatry. Because you're worshipping yourself. You're worshipping your own needs. And you may be saying with your voice, I trust in Jesus, but actually you're saying with your actions, I bow down before you, O great altar of money, O great God of materialism, I worship you. And you can't worship two people at the same time. So that's list one. And then there's list two. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. And it says filthy language, well, the author, the um, NIV translates it, filthy language from your lips. But actually in Greek it's a bit more basic than that. Filthy language that comes from your gut comes out from deep inside. So what's the difference between these two lists? Why does he give us two? Is it because in verse 9 he's just thought of a few ideas he hadn't mentioned before? No, I don't think so. I think there's a difference between those two lists. The first one you see is what's working inside us. Things that people need, won't necessarily see on the outside, but they're there anyway. And so he's saying, first of all, you've got to be really honest with yourself. And this is where God can help you. can shine a light on some of those things that you would otherwise not realize are there inside you. And he can help you sort this out. But the second list, well, that's about what comes out from us. People see this. They see us losing our temper. They see us planning malicious actions that hurt other people. They see us using filthy language. And all of these things are just the outward evidence of what's actually happening inside. It's like Jesus said, isn't it? He said, you know, it's not food and drink that defile a man. It's what comes out from the inside. And if you can get the inside sorted out, and get a control on the behavior you've got uh, coming out, of, out that hurts other people, then you've done the job. And it's, whew, that is quite a joint. How do you ever do that? And Paul says it's as easy as taking off old clothes. You reach the end of the day, the clothes you've been wearing are covered in sweat, and they've got a bit messed up with something you stepped in, or chocolate stains, or whatever it happens to be. You take them off, you put them in the wash. Just take off these things. You've taken off the old self with its practices. You're living in a new self now. And then in the next section, he starts talking about putting on a whole new you. And he says it's as easy as that. You don't think about it sometimes. When you go to bed, you just take off your clothes, you jump into bed, and you go. It's not a difficult thing to do. And so he's saying if you've got Jesus to help you, you can do this. Oh, there may be some things that persist and come back again and again, and you have to battle with them for years, but ultimately, getting that kind of character is a matter of allowing Jesus to do it to it, rather than having to screw up your determination and do it yourself. And how do you become different? You take, take all these things off, but also, the third thing then is, you change your clothes. <laughs> you put the new suit on. And this takes us to the third bit, which you'll be relieved to hear, is the last thing we're going to talk about tonight. Therefore, this is verse 12 we're reading now. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's saying, this is the secret of success. This is what you've got to do. And if you're actively doing these things, you won't have time to get the old clothes out of the laundry basket and put them on again. You'll be busy enough living the new lifestyle. So what's he talking about here? Well, five different things. First of all, compassion. Really caring about other people. Not just seeing them as add-ons to our life, as people who are occasionally useful to us for something, but people in whose life we are invested. We really care about them. But you can be compassionate to somebody. You're in a mess, so I will help you out. Without being kind. And so that's the second thing. Kindness. Being the kind of person who really is warm and friendly towards others. And the third thing is humility. Because it's possible to do those first two things, isn't it? And be quite proud of yourself as well. Have a fairly inflated ego. And you go around like Lord or Lady Bountiful, just dispensing your compassion and your kindness to other people. Humility means I'm nothing very special. I'm just doing what I can for you, not because I think it makes me look any better, but just because it's what Jesus wants me to do. It's what he's put in my heart. And then there's gentleness and there's patience. Gentleness means not being rough in the way you handle other people. It means treating other people with respect, treating them in a way that's not going to ruffle their feathers or annoy them in, in some kind of a way. Doing, thinking about what you say to people before you say it, basically. <laughs> and being as kind and as careful of their feelings as you possibly can be. But sometimes they react the wrong way. And so the final thing's important too, isn't it? Patience. And Paul gives two examples of the kind of patience and stability that you will need if you're going to do it right. The first thing is keeping on going with one another. That's uh, where he says, bear with each other. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's a word that means keep on going for a very long time. Whatever they say, whatever they do, hang on in there with them. Bear with one another. Keep on going with one another. You should never say, I've had it with you. You're far too high maintenance. I'm out of here. Those are not Christian things to say. There are times, right enough, where you can do somebody no other good, and the best and most loving thing to do is to leave it you for a while. That's a different story. But you never give up on people just because you've reached the end of your patience, because God will give you the patience you need. And the second thing, of course, is forgiving one another. And Paul says, Jesus has forgiven you. And when you think what a, what a score he's paid for you and how much he's forgiven you for, how can you refuse to forgive your brother? So all of that's there. And he says, there's one thing that binds it all together and makes it all make perfect sense. And without it, it loses half of its value. And that is love. He says, put that on top of everything else and it will make the whole of your new outfit uh, look okay. Um, over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. When a Roman woman to put on her new toga, she'd put a sash around her waist to bind it together and that would just finish the look. And Paul's saying love is the thing that holds it all together and makes sense of the whole thing. Did you notice in, in those two lists that we looked at of what you shouldn't do, the old clothes that you take off, how much was focused on you and yourself and your needs and what you wanted and how much of this list is focused on other people because we belong with one another. And that's why Paul says that we should live in a way that fosters that unity and then we all help one another and encourage one another to live out this 
unusual lifestyle. And so he says in the last bit of the, 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 this section, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Right there in your heart, the peace of Christ should be there, the peace of God, if you like. And uh, so as members of one body, you were called to peace, and now you're living out that way. But if that's in your heart, there's also stuff in your head. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. There will be things that you've picked up that can help other people. Pass them on. Make sure that happens. And you will learn a lot from other people, and particularly I've found in my life, the people you don't get on with very well. <laughs> They're often the ones that have most to teach you. And if you're listening, you can pick up an awful lot from all sorts of unexpected sources. Teach and admonish one another. Keep one another going. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. What's the difference between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Well, it seems to be that psalms is talking about the Old Testament songs, which talk about God the Father mainly. Um, hymns is talking about the sort of thing that you find in the New Testament, in places like Philippians 2, which are addressed to Jesus. And spiritual songs, well, they're probably impromptu songs that the Spirit inspires, and you just sing them because they help you improve your worship. So Father, Son, and Spirit are all there in the worship that you're doing. And as you do that with one another, you share in the life of the Trinity, and you strengthen one another, and you move one another forward. But there's a third thing as well. And the third thing is giving thanks to God. You do everything in the name of Jesus, and as you do it, you thank God for the strength and the power that he's giving you to do it properly. And if you've got those three things in place, says Paul, that is the way you should be living. This helps you renew your mind. This helps you be the kind of person that God wants you to be. And he says to the Colossians, this is what I'm praying for you people with all my might. Let's just pray together. Shall we? Are you coming back up, Richard? Yeah. You are great. Okay, let's just pray for a second, shall we? And then we'll let the man finish off. Heavenly Father, there's an awful lot of stuff in this passage tonight which I have to confess I have not been with all that clearly or all that well. And there's so much there for us to think about. And I just pray that those things you want us to hear and apply to our lives, you will do. You'll take it and you'll, you'll just make it hammer away at us until we do something about it. Because we look at one another and we thank you that we can see signs of grace in one another that show just how you are changing the lives of the people that we know and have fellowship with in this church. And because we see you at work in them, we know that you are at work in us as well. And sometimes we don't always see just how, how the marks of grace are working out in us. And other people can see them more clearly than we can. Give us a heightened sense of where we are and where we need to be and what you want to work on next in us so that we get past our blind spots. We don't live in illusions about ourselves. And we learn more wisdom from you all the time that shapes us into more and more of the kind of person that you want us to be. We'll always be sinful. We'll always be skewed until one day we see your face and we're changed into your likeness. But we can right now be changed from one degree of glory into another. And we pray for ourselves. And we pray for each other that this week that'll happen a little bit more. For your name's sake.